We are ex-Overland, and over the past 10 years, my wife and I have established a business doing what we love. Throughout the last 10 years, we have built over 20 Overland vehicles that have taken us and our team around the world as we film our adventures. My name is Clay Croft, and I am the founder and CEO of ex-Overland. On this podcast, we take a deep dive beyond what the camera can capture to offer you as much insight into the world of Overland travel as possible. The X-Overland podcast is brought to you by Onyx Off-Road. X-Overland is made up of a team of adventurers who love to explore the world off-road. Every weekend, every month, and every year, find us heading out in our Overland vehicles or aboard our favorite motorcycles to challenge ourselves in new places. To find the trails we're after, we use Onyx Off-Road. With just a tap on the map on our smartphone screens, the Onyx Off-Road app provides us with the critical data we need to effectively plan our trips. Trail difficulty, ground clearance requirements, trail openings and closing dates, and even photos of the trail are found on the app. Use the code XOverland to get 20% off your subscription today. Welcome to the XOverland podcast. I'm Jimmy Lewis, and with me today, Clay and Rochelle. I have both of them here today because today we are talking about the top 10 mods for really what we would term to be a basic upfit of a stock vehicle. Yes. Now, we've made some notes right off the bat. We have lots of notes, pages <laughs> of notes. That we, we were going that throughout the podcast, we need to differentiate between a dedicated build mm-hmm. and a like a daily driver because a a little ways into the list, some of these priorities might change if something was a dedicated build versus a daily driver. And we'll just kind of get into it to Uh, see what You know what? I just thought of something too here along those lines, Clay, how one can begin with a daily driver that over a period of even five to 10 years, say, becomes the dedicated build as they build it up and then put mm-hmm. it in the garage and buy something else for a daily driver. Exactly. And that's what happened with my first truck. You know, I, and it took my first truck was a nine to what was it? Shell 2001 Tacoma. Yeah. And my first one took me seven years to build. And pretty, by the time that I, well, then we started X overland and it had pretty much by that point become a dedicated overland vehicle. Like I was still daily driving it, but I had lost all of the daily driver benefits of that vehicle. Like it was so heavy, it was modified, it was so much that it's like it wasn't really ideal to be your daily driver. But it is all I had. So I daily drove it. Which is where a lot of people find themselves. Probably most people. Yeah. And I I think it it is possible, like if people take the long game and they're in this for a decade or so, that to to figure that out to start with a vehicle it's your daily driver mm-hmm. build it little by little and then if you're so into overlanding that your money's going into that dedicated build you buy a cheap runabout to go get the groceries yes i'm i'm smiling because we also bought a 2000 toyota land cruiser that was supposed to be the family car oh. and then we started x overland and i got a honda <laughs> and that 
my cruiser went goodbye. That's true. <laughs> I see a little bit of tension there, Rochelle. I, got, I have like the, the married couple here on, on the podcast. Yeah, you do today, have so. the married couple today. You do have the married couple today. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, like, that happened. <laughs> but you I know, have to give him grief for it. Uh, uh, understandable. I, I experience these kinds of things. <laughs> and I also, Rochelle, I, I especially wanted you on the podcast today because I, I know from working here for a while that your perspective is different from Clay's and in a way that I think people appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely like when we're talking top five, top 10 mods there, there's some core universal ideas there that Clay's going to lay out. But I think there are also some mods that are more subjective and personal that would be useful for people to hear some differences in opinion on. For yeah. sure. And I would say there's probably, I wouldn't say there's a, an exact way to build something because all the, the use cases are different, but there really is a pretty good formula that we have developed over the 24, 23 trucks that we've built over the years, dedicated vehicles on, on how to go about building an overland vehicle, which we've t- talked about in other podcasts. But there is, when it comes to like our personal vehicles and stuff, there's always going to be nuancey stuff that you would just rather prioritize something else Mm -hmm. that maybe shouldn't be prioritized, but that's just the way of things. You know, we do it all the time and everybody does it in their normal life. Like I really should pay off my credit card, but I really want this instead, you know, (laughs) so So, I'm going to add to my credit card. Yeah. So, or, you know, I really should paint the house first. But let's do this instead. You know, let's buy the new yeah. couch or something. You know, right. so th- right. that that process happens in truck building. Is just so yeah. take it for what it's worth as we get into. I, I think all that's this good stuff. for people to hear too, because in, in everything, right? There is there is best practice in in theory. Mm-hmm. There's theory, and there's practice. Yep. And all of us, you know, can line out the ideal in theory. It's a lot harder in practice to follow that in many, many areas. So I guess, you know, be patient with yourself. Yeah. Right. Be, be, forg- be forgiving. But we're here to line out what we consider to be best practice and take yeah. it from there. So yeah. starting. Start, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say kind of the whole concept of what we ch- what we're trying to do, even with the third gen foreigner build that we did for the Overlander Network series is trying to ask yourself the questions that then lead you to the answer that best suits your needs. So it's not just you have to do this. It's we're trying to kind of lay out that formula of the decision making process that can apply to you in whatever vehicle you're choosing to build. And I think that's so useful, Rochelle, right? Because I'm thinking of somebody who might be getting into overlanding and they they see trucks on Instagram, they see even our trucks and they think, oh man, you know, I need, I guess I need to do all of those things if it's going to be an overlanding vehicle before they really sit down and think about their own needs. Yes. You know, what are they really going to be doing with that vehicle? And you pointed out even before the podcast, I was like, yes, let's go to those places. Like <laughs> some things that a daily driver might want to leave off their truck if it's not a dedicated build, like a rear tire swing, if they're going to have to be getting into the back of that vehicle again and again and again. Yes. Awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Ready to dive in? Yeah. I was, so I, the first thing on my list here is the top 10 truck mods. I have a number one, but I have a note that says first things first. Okay. Let's hear about <laughs> so first is, things this first. This is back to the... Uh, the, the discussion of what you should do first and versus what you want to do first. Ah, <laughs> uh, <Okay>. yes. <laughs> so depending on the Smart. vehicle that you have, uh, more than I'm really speaking towards a used vehicle at this point. 
If you have a used vehicle and you're going to be using this for overland travel, the very first thing, the very first modifications you should spend your money on is getting the vehicle to a 100% reliable state. So mm-hmm. it actually runs. The boring so, stuff. The boring stuff. But, you know, <laughs> in a lot of ways, like a mature, let's just say this, a mature overlander actually prioritizes this very, very, very heavily. Because when you're spending a lot of time out there, you, the peace of mind of a lot of this equipment is what brings so much joy to us in the backcountry. When you're worried about your truck breaking or if that part's going to hold out or if that power steering pump's going to give up or has the alternator been weird and the starter about every 10 times doesn't, you know, I got to click the key a few times, get the starter to work. That sort of stuff takes away a lot of the, uh, I don't know, the relaxation that you can have in the backcountry. So, and it could be worst case scenario, life threatening, you know, like you get stuck somewhere. You know, depending on, but more than likely, it would just be a very serious inconvenience. In my distant past, I had a Land Rover and the the stuck somewhere and life threatening. Um, <laughs> when you have a Land Rover in Montana in the winter, that, that that can happen very easily. So I feel you here. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> let's make sure the mechanical part first things okay. first. All right, and then the, so if we have the first things first done, all the mechanical bases are done. We would say the mechanical bases are covered and you feel like this vehicle is good to go then we can start our top 10 mods but the, the fun stuff, stuff that looks the cool fun stuff yeah, yeah. and looks it's cool or does cool <laughs> so you mentioned and and this uh you know makes me think of our forerunner build series which is being launched on the overlander network um and how the first thing we did with that used Forerunner is a Gen 3 1996, right? Six, yep. It had mm-hmm. like, I think, 190,000 miles on it. We began with this mechanical overhaul. And we didn't just get in there and look around. Like, we took it to some pros, correct? Like, or a shop that yeah. you trust, like Keith or... Well, we, we, did, we started out with a design spec or like a use case spec. So we wanted to make sure that this vehicle was mechanically sound to drive to Argentina. Wow. At 190,000 miles on the Odo already, we wanted to say this truck is going to go to Argentina and we don't want any known potential known mechanical failures. If they happen because of, they happen, great. But if we knew anything about the part that failed, that was going to be a problem. Yeah. I didn't say that very well. If there was a known issue, we fixed it is ultimately what we, because we didn't want it to fail due to ign- neglect. Okay. Yeah. Um, or, um, yeah. Yeah. A Words miss. are hard. I love yeah. this, though. I love your philosophy here, your strategy, which is, you know, the, the stuff that everybody can't see, but yeah. is absolutely essential. Your vehicle is not going to break down. So, you know, the yep. mechanical yes. overhaul, right, to make sure it is mechanically sound is how you put it, right? Mechanically sound. And so yep. real quick, if you're not a DIY person, or maybe you are, but you have your limits, what does that look like for someone who got a, a used vehicle and they want to ensure that this is the case? Like a pro shop? I mean... Yeah, what do they do? We, well, for that stuff, you know, if you wanted to go to your dealer, that's one way to go. We have a really great shop here, Rising Sun uh, in Bozeman, that these guys are like the top of the top dogs in Bozeman for, Toyota, for Toyotas, right? and we, we send everything to them. If it's not within the Toyota warranties, that's, that all goes to dealerships. Everything else goes to these gurus, you know. 
Keith and Peter. And um, so we took we took it to Keith and Peter and had them look it over because they work on used vehicles all the time. All the time. They, they work on yeah. third-gen forerunners all the time because there's a lot of them still on the road. And they're coming back in. And then you ask them, hey, what are the things that always fail? What are you always replacing on these? Oh, well, it's, you know, CV axles, um, the power steering pumps, or, or the, you know, the power steering rack is always going water bad. Pump. Water pumps, you know, their timing belts, a lot of the usual stuff. And then, you know, then rear seals start to go bad at about like 180,000. You know, let's look at all this. And if there's any, for us, what, what we told them is like, if there's any inkling that something will fail during the time that we would be gone, say for up to two years doing an Argentina trip with this vehicle and it would start to hit its end of service life, fix it, replace it now. Like we went to that degree, pretty much how you would maintain an airplane, an AMP power plant. Yeah. You know, and what I'm hearing here too is how important it is to know what you want done with your vehicle, like Mm -hmm. what you are trying to achieve by bringing it to your dealer or your shop and then being able to, to express that clearly to whomever you're working with. So they know because it's almost like going to your doctor and it's like, well, I don't know something's going on, but if you know what you're trying to achieve, it, it can make a big difference, right? Where there's clarity there because they may be trying to save you money. Well, we won't fix that yet because there's a year left on that or we have some more mileage. But if you're telling them no preemptively, we want to make sure to take care of these things then they're going to do it. Yep. And now's the time to have that bigger open conversation with your mechanic because there's some things that you might do at the same time and ultimately save you money if you do it all at once. Um, right. You know, due because to labor costs. Due to labor costs. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're going to, say you pull a bunch of, uh, like building the top, re- resealing the top end of an engine or something like that. Well, you're going to pull the power steering pump off. You're going to pull all the belts off to get to that part on to, to reseal the top end of the engine with the gaskets, you might as well just do everything, you know, at that time, because then six months from now or a year, they'd have to go do all that same process again, pay for that labor to tear it down just to get to the power steering pump, you know, you know, yeah. or the so water pump. enough knowledge to communicate with your mechanic, your shop, and then communicate, 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 right? Yeah. One of our yeah. tenant, <laughs> like one of our core values here at X Everland, same way when you're working with your shop, let them know what you want, and uh, have enough knowledge to understand that, and you can save yourself a lot of money, time, have a reliable vehicle. Exactly. And a lot of people that are probably listening to this podcast aren't planning to go to Argentina. That's kind of a, an extreme use case. But you are planning to go deep into the Mojave Road on in Nevada or California, or you're going deep into the backcountry roads of Montana. Uh, yeah. So tell your mechanic that, like, hey, I need this to be really reliable. And they go, because they're used to servicing vehicles that if they did fail, it's on the street. You know, you give them like, hey, this is actually going to get pushed pretty hard and I need the reliability. And then they kind of, I've watched a lot of mechanics go, gotcha. Okay. Mm. I'm going to think about this a little different for you because it's outside their normal, um, probably customer service dialogue. Right, right. I've definitely seen that with a lot of pro shops. And if they know that you will happily spend the money you need to, to ensure that reliability, then they'll go ahead and take those steps. But I think they're more afraid that they're going to be accused of upselling you than, yeah. than you know, not getting the job done. Yep. That happens a lot. 
Okay, so now we have a mechanically sound vehicle, yeah. step number one. And it may not look cool yet, right? And the tires might be, but at least we know, like, even if we drive this thing five miles away, it's, it's yeah, going to start. it's good to go. It's good to go. Okay. <laughs> so for me, the top 10, the very first thing I've always done on all of my vehicles would be tires. Um, if So there's a couple ways to think about this. If you're looking at a dedicated build from zero to hero and you're just going to like spend the money and get it built, you would do just like you would with the mechanic. You would do a lot of things at once, but if you were to do this like a daily driver and slowly month by month, you save your money, you go out and buy a piece and then the next piece, you know, that sort of mentality towards the top 10 mods. The first thing I would buy is a taller all-terrain tire. All-terrain. All-terrain. Okay. Because right away, there's that mud train, all terrain mm-hmm. debate, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to go too far off into those weeds, but <laughs> yeah. I think you should maybe tell the audience why the all terrain. Rochelle, do you agree all terrain? I, I, for me, yes, in my needs, I do all terrain. Okay. That's when I run on my vehicle, primarily because it can do snow, water, ice, mud, rocks. Okay. Um, it, all season. It, all season. It covers, you know, 85% of what I need that to do at all times. And I can still take it off-road and have a great experience. You know, so. my, my favorite tire is the General Grabber X3, and it's a you would consider it in a mud terrain category. Um, I like it because of how tough it is. I love the looks of it. It's, it's a very, very, very reliable tire. But we're using that tire to do pretty big stuff. So mm-hmm. I will compromise on some other things because uh, ultimately we are making a compromise going to a mud terrain on certain aspects of street performance, noise, even though they're a very quiet tire. There's still any mud terrain is going to be louder than an all terrain. Um, it does perform better in the more extreme circumstances, but the, it's just a really tough tire. So if I'm going from here to Argentina, I just want a really tough tire and I'll sacrifice some of those other things to make sure that I have a bulletproof tire under me. Because when you run an all-terrain tire or something less than a mud terrain, the the carcass of the tire is built different so that it rides better. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're so nice to drive on. So Really? Yeah. Okay. So for example, plies, sidewalls and stuff... It, it's based off of old technology nomenclature, but the standards and the way we talk about it is still the same, usually in cords or, or plies of sidewall. And they're built a little different now. That's not quite how it was. But anyway, bear with me. Like a, an X3 tire is like a full three-ply sidewall, super tough. I've seen some pretty crazy stuff get, push into that sidewall on an X3 and not puncture it. Now, an ATX if it had gone through possibly the same scenario may have been punctured because in the center band of the sidewall, you could say it's only two ply, but the reason it's only two ply because that's where you get your compliance in the ride. Mm -hmm. So when you have an X, like a three ply tire, it rides a whole lot stiffer. Mm -hmm. And so that's what most people don't want. Mm. They want a tire that feels good and drives nice. Yeah. All trains do that. So mm-hmm. you have to make these decisions on your first tire. The X3 too, um, it's not great in snow or ice. Whereas like the all-terrain has a little bit softer build to handle the snow and ice a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. The ATX yeah. is a f- really good snow mm-hmm. tire. Take it from us. Like we've, we've run Blizz yeah. X and everything. <laughs> we've even run the Grabber Arctics, uh, which were really good. 
but the alternate the ATX when the ATX came out, man, we just we just were like this is good enough. We run this sucker all year round. Yep. And I'll just remind the listeners that we live in Bozeman, Montana. Yeah. yeah. So we get plenty of time and opportunity to test our tires in winter conditions. Yes. Snow and ice, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I hear something here that uh, I, I believe is very helpful for somebody starting out into the overlanding world, which is, again, right? Like, think about your needs. Mm-hmm. Um, if this is going to be a daily driver, which is what we're specifically addressing here in this podcast. Um, most of the time you're going to be running around town. You're going to be maybe even taking longer highway trips and you're going to want, if you put a big mud terrain on there, it could even push you away from overlanding because you're thinking, oh man, this is uncomfortable. I don't even like driving this. Why am I doing this? Right. But if your daily driver is truly comfortable to drive and it handles most conditions and you can go out on the weekends and get off road and 99% of the time you're in good shape, Yeah. then Mm -hmm. Start start somewhere that's comfortable and easy to drive before you go yeah. too far. Absolutely. And so, like, back to why. Why is tires the number one thing? It's because statistically, tires are the number one thing that fails in the backcountry mm. when we're driving and doing mm-hmm. stuff. So if you have, say, like, you buy... So a used vehicle or stock vehicle, but it pretty much has like a highway rated tire. Most of them do. They come off the lot that way because if it's a OEM, it has to meet all these requirements by the government. So that's why you don't get mud terrains pretty much coming off the lot from an OEM. Yeah. Legal, legally wise, what they have to sell, they can't meet the specs. So that's, that's why yeah. you get a highway tire on all that because okay, it has to meet this speed rating and this weight rating and this blood, you know, all this stuff. Um, so more than likely, when you're starting to get into a lot of long distance self sustained travel, that tire is going to be not up to snuff to the terrain that you're putting it through. So it gets swapped, mm-hmm. and then when I do swap it, I like to go to an all terrain as discussed, and then I like to go what we call a plus one, like it's the next size up, an inch taller usually than what the stock size is. Um, that just gives you a little bit more ground clearance. It's going to look better, but it's going to mm-hmm. give you that ground clearance. And more than likely, if you only go an inch up in size, you're not going to run into any significant rubbing issues uh, when you go full lock left to right. Yeah, and rubbing just for mm-hmm. people who are getting into this, right? It's Yeah, you're full lock, meaning you're steering. Mm-hmm. You're turning as far as the steering will go. You're at full lock. If you have too large a tire in that wheelhouse, you're actually going to hear it kind of rubbing mm-hmm. on the side of your vehicle. Um, so what you're talking about is by plus one, you get a little more ground clearance, a little more capability, but you can keep things completely stock. No need to cut the body, make those kinds of body mods. No tire rubbing, which They're, is good for people new to this too. Yeah. Like, oh God, what is that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh, your tire rubbing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they're... Toyotas in particular are prone to rubbing. The way that they build their wheel wells, they're, they're tighter. They have reasons for doing that. But say like you go to a, you buy a Wrangler. Uh, a lot of times they come with like a 33-inch tire on it. You might be able to go up two sizes, three sizes. Even our, I think our Gladiator, when we had the Gladiator, we were pretty much able to put 37s on it without any interference. But it's just the way that the vehicle is designed. Mm-hmm. So depending on what vehicle you have, you might be able to go more. Just know that if you start going really tall in tires, you're mm-hmm. affecting your gear ratio and you're affecting the power band of how the truck performs 
and uh, you're also affecting stopping distance because it's weight and rolling inertia and all this other science stuff. But basically, your truck gets slower both ways. It doesn't stop as fast, and it doesn't go as fast. Right. And, I'm, and I, man, there are a lot of things I'm thinking of here, you know, which is one, like many pursuits that you develop an interest in. And I, I really, and since this is like a 10 basic upfit, I'm thinking of the beginner, right? I'm thinking of someone who's new to overlanding, whether they bought a new or used truck. And how, like a lot of other things, you can get yourself in over your head really quickly by trying to bite off too much, right? Like to go for that hero build right away and you don't even really know what it does or what the components are and what the downsides are to those builds. Mm -hmm. It may not suit your needs. So there's wisdom I see in just taking your time and learning as you go and listening to our podcast, figuring things out, you know, being incremental though. Mm -hmm. um, And you'll, you'll be a lot better off, probably save more money and have more fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you get into the truck builds, think of it, everything that you modify is a compromise to some degree. Right. Understand what that compromise is. It's usually weight, a compromise to the weight of the vehicle, the stopping or go power of the vehicle, the geometries of how things are designed to function. You're modifying and and sacrificing. For example, you lift a truck six inches. You know, let's go extreme. That's crazy. Your CV axles are at their absolute max angles, and you go drive around, you're going to break it. You're literally going to break it. So you've modified it in a way that it makes it look cooler and tougher, but it's actually weaker. It's weaker, for Mm -hmm. sure. So understand that whatever mod, as we go through these top 10 mods, there is a cause and effect to each one. Now, hopefully, the modifications that you choose are improving the overall vehicle, not degrading it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you need to know what you're doing. You need to just think through it. It's a lot of it's common sense, but and, yeah. Just think and I'm thinking it. like like tire size. Like as as you move forward as an overlander and uh, you're building your vehicle, like this is where, where like having you and Rochelle both on the podcast is very helpful because like you you two have different preferences and different driving styles even and things you the way you like to drive what you like to do. So like hang, hang out with a little bit with Rochelle as a rally driver. Like I've noticed she likes to go really fast. <laughs> She, <laughs> I'm not that she, fast. She likes fast and light. I'm still safe. <laughs> yeah, didn't say you were unsafe. <laughs> Oftentimes, ironically, right? Fast drivers are highly skilled if they know what they're doing. Uh, but, you know, and Clay's like going to be crawling up some rocky terrain or, you know, going through a muddy bog and just like lots of stuff we see in, in uh, our expeditions. But my point is just like you have different preferences, right? Mm-hmm. So in building out your vehicle at some point, Based upon your preferences, your needs, you might say, you know, I'm going to go with this type of tire because it really suits like where I drive, how I drive, what I like to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. As a family, we we bought ATXs. Yeah. We were like, and it just needs to be a 33 inch tire. Yep. We liked a little bit plus one because that car, mm-hmm. our family car, is a 200 series Land Cruiser, mm-hmm. 2013. And we, you know, we do dirt roads. We take kids up to camp. We might camp out of it. Here mm-hmm. and there. Um, so we were like, yeah, let's just do an all-terrain. It works all season, and it's a little taller. Get mm-hmm. us through some stuff. We like the looks of it. Definitely like the looks of it, for sure. And it's served <laughs> us extremely well. Like, yeah. I wouldn't put anything else on it. It's doing No, exactly, it doesn't need anything else. Yeah. It's doing everything we need it to do on a daily basis and um, didn't have to re-gear it or go through a lot of other mm-hmm. geometries of the vehicle. It was just 33-inch tire. There's a tiny bit of rubbing when I full lock out, likes to 
freak people out in the parking lot at Costco. It's just great. enough. Just enough so they all look at you. <laughs> if but, you let uh, it do it long enough, it's self-clearances. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so bef- before we leave tires, um, one, I, a top 10 mod of mine that relates to tires, like if you just bought a used vehicle and it's basically stock or you bought a new vehicle and it's stock, um, is to make sure you have a full-size spare. Full-size spare. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. For an overland travel, you need to have a full-size spare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Like maybe explain. <laughs> well, again, um, more than likely in the backcountry, if you have some sort of mechanical failure, statistically it is a tire failure. It's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it takes all the impact. It is literally designed to be a – a tire is a interchangeable – sacrificial part. Um, if it wasn't, you would hate your life because it would be made of steel to take on everything. And it would, you know, yeah. the compromises that need to exist inside. To- I am, by the way, I am fascinated by tires. <laughs> I can tell. Can you tell? Yeah, okay. I can totally tell. Like, man, this because, is yeah, there's a lot to it. I remember you know, like <laughs> talking to all the general tire guys over the years and the engineers and uh, it is amazing what goes into building tires. It's incredible what they do. Yeah. Talk yeah. about something that's easy to take for granted. It, yes. For sure. Yeah. And there are good tire companies and there are bad tire companies. I will tell you that. Buy a good, reputable tire. You know, don't be very weary of cheap Chinese tires. There, a lot of that tech coming from inside baseball is 20 to 30 years old in a cheaper t- uh, Chinese tire. Wow. That's how far back the tech is. Mm-hmm. That's compared wow. to like, say, like a general tire or a BFG or, you know, some other top. Yeah, what, what are what are some top brands? Like just, you know, a yeah, few that, uh, so people you know, could say so they don't make this mistake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stick to like uh, Toyos, Falcons, general tires. What we highly recommend. We've been sponsored by them for years. We had great luck with them. BFGs. Uh, any of yeah, those are the ones that stick out right off the bat. Um well-proven inside the overland space, you know, pick a tire that you like and love, get behind it. Um, get to know it a little get bit. Get to know it. and But don't make a sacrifice here. Spend your money on tires. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking too, like, uh, I hope that even other user groups outside of overlanders, but like recreators who need a reliable, capable vehicle can get something from this podcast too. Like I'm thinking of people, we live in Southwest Montana, so there are all kinds of different recreators here, right? So whether you're going fishing or you're going hunting, some of these things apply, mm-hmm. right? Having, having that full size spare when you're five hours away from here in nowhere, middle of Montana, Makes all the difference all in getting home the difference. Yep. and yes. good tires that aren't puncturing all the time, which real quickly, because when I moved here, all the locals told me you're going to run gravel roads forever. You're going bird hunting, flashing, whatever. Um, get a 10 ply no matter what. Is that true? Like, do you get more puncture resistance out of a 10 ply? It is certainly tougher. You know, it, it, the, the bands that are inside of that tire are thicker and they're going to be tougher. Um, 10 ply usually has to do with towing and like how much it can hold weight wise. So a 10 ply tire, if I'm not mistaken, all of our X3s are like on the eight ply side to go to, and, and it's very stiff for an, for an eight ply. If you were to go to a 10, that thing would ride like a wagon. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know? so, so there's like, your compromise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, you might get the tougher, but, but you know, that was 20 years ago. 
that yeah. you moved to Bozeman. And I remember hearing that a lot. I don't hear that anymore. I think the tire tech has changed so much in the compounds and how they're built that, uh, that maybe that margin has been resolved. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm grinning a little bit over here because I, I know we need to do an episode purely on tires. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I was <laughs> we'll going to say, we got to get moving. Happy. We'll hang it up. At, well, and we should get a tire guy in here. We should get yeah, like somebody should. from GT or somebody to talk tires. But yeah, absolutely. Um, the other, the other quick thing that you're going to have to decide is how wide and how tall. So like I, as an overland person, stick to a narrower tire. Don't go wide. And there's a whole bunch of great reasons behind that. Scott Brady at Overland Journal and Expedition Portal look up uh, choosing a tire size from the portal. He has a, a write-up. I hope mm-hmm. it's still out there. It's years old. Like I, I read it 10, 15 years ago, and it was so good. And I've basically built my thinking around tires around that article. Uh, if possible, we'll try and put it in the show notes, uh, a link to that. But uh yeah, read up on why you want like a taller, skinnier tire versus a wide tire. A wide tire, in short, only benefits you in a very, very short, small margin of use case. Whereas a taller, narrower tire benefits you in 90 plus percent of its use case. But those wide tires yeah. look so cool. They do. They, they do look, look so awesome. cool. But they're, 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 oftentimes they're working against you. Yeah. Worse mileage, more rolling resistance, etc. And this is where knowledge is power. I mean, it's just there's so much that on the surface you see and you go, oh, maybe, you know, my truck has to look like that. And it's like, I mean, when you start digging and you learn the kind of things that Clay's talking about, you Mm -hmm. realize, actually, no, like that would be terrible for me, right? Now that I understand what's going on. And by the way, if if people are new to the overlanding world, Expedition Portal, Overland Journal, Mm -hmm. awesome resource. Check it out. They have a great podcast, the Overland Journal podcast, phenomenal. They may even have another good... Uh, podcast specifically on tires that we we don't have one out yet maybe they do if you need to go run over there and listen if you're in the market to buy some tires so mm-hmm. anyway so yeah. what's next? next we gotta move off a tire yeah. we okay. gotta move Michelle's like, okay, here's, on, here's the next loaded <laughs> pun intended next loaded topic for me is suspension so uh, once you and have five re- minutes okay okay <laughs> once you get into you've selected your tire and Say you've spent, you've saved your money and now you want to buy suspension. First thing, save as much money as you can towards suspension. This is one of those things mm-hmm. like tires works for you every single mile that you drive. And it is the buffer zone in the safety net between all of the road vibrations, the harshness of the road, and how it translates into the rest of the truck. When you have really good tires and really good suspension and it's tuned correctly, your truck just seems to survive a whole lot better over the years. Ah, mm-hmm. yes. So you, if you have the four-wheel camper in the back, if you have a $15,000 live-in system, whatever it is, all that tech you put in afterward, it's going to last a lot longer. Yeah. It's going to yes. be a lot better protected. Yeah. Think about those washboard roads. Oh, yeah. Not to mention your <laughs> lower back. Yeah. Yes. All, all those things and the components and how how uh, tight your vehicle stays over time. Yeah. Um, it, it matters in the longevity. Now, do you need to go buy seven, ten thousand $10,000 suspension? No, you do not. You do not. That, there is a threshold where you get what you need. And a lot of that is like in the 
say like the icon or the old man emu basic kits, you know, like monotube stuff designed for, you know, corrugated roads are a little bit bigger than stock in their tubes. There's a little more oil, a little more gas in there can handle the more abuse of corrugated roads is usually what. And by corrugated roads, we're talking about like some people refer to as washboard Washboard. roads. (laughs) Yeah. Just the way we have tons of them around the West. Yeah. Yeah. So that is probably the hardest, uh, cycling, on a suspension, that's the harshest use case is corrugations because yeah, it's just so abusive. Thousands of cycles per minute just, you know, due to the vibration. So either you would speed up or slow down and change oh, yeah. the frequency yeah, yeah, of this. And that, you know, everyone's like, go faster. Sure. Yeah. So that's what causes a shock to heat up and you get shock fade. Um, you know, I just want to point, point out something quickly, safety-wise, because I was thinking about this with corrugated ribs since we're on them a lot, right? And a lot of times it's like, yeah, go faster, go faster, let's get over these. Early in that, your shock might keep up. But if you don't have the remote reservoir, you don't have enough capacity in that shock, it starts to get hot, wear out. Now, all of a sudden, you're in a dangerous situation, right? Because you're going fast and your shock has run out of ability. Yeah. So it's compliance changes. Yeah, because it gets hot. And that your oil and your gas mix and it stops doing its job. Now, it, it comes back when it cools off. Those things separate and the shock cools off and, and it comes back to its performance like how it's designed to work, but you have to sit there, like eat lunch and let your shocks cool off. That's why remote reservoirs came into play because it just increased the volume of oil and therefore it would last substantially longer or it never hit like the tipping point because there's just that much volume. Okay. Uh, I have some trucks, all of our exo trucks run remote reservoirs. My Ram does not. It runs the AEV Bilstein shock, and I do everything I need to do pretty much on that RAM wherever I go and at the speeds that I drive. There's a few times when I'm like, yeah, I think the sport, because they now make an AEV sport side to that shock, that, that would be nice. Mm-hmm. But due to the use case, I'm fine with the model shock. And that's where that use case again comes back around, right? Like what, mm-hmm. what, Honestly, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, like what are, how, how are we really going to be driving this vehicle? What, what are we really going to be using it for? Because it, that does matter. If you get a Baja-style suspension system, but you're going to haul a heavy camper and tow a boat, mm-hmm. you're not going to be a happy no, yeah, it's not built right. Not or built it's right. not built right. Yeah, right. Not. So, mm-hmm. and again, it's just like so. It comes back around to like knowing what you're going to do with it. How fast do you drive? Right. Yeah. If like Rochelle likes to rally down those roads a little faster, that remote reservoir might be necessary for you to keep up. Mm-hmm. But if I'm more of like, I just like to tour around, look for the deer, check out scenery. Yeah. Maybe I don't need that high performance system, right? For like a race, like a race based system. Yeah, and you can get into a good suspension system for like. Call it three grand safe. You know, I don't, a lot of things have gone up in price and all that stuff. I think around three grand now. You could probably budget and get everything you need. Also, when you think about suspension, don't just think about the shocks. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about the coil. The coil's required uh, and for the weight of the bumper, the weight of the vehicle, because you're probably changing those things as you get through the mods. Just make sure that the rating of the coil, and the coil is what holds the weight. It's not. The shock is not what holds the weight. The coils are. The spring. That gives it its disposition. And then the shock manages how that cycle, um, the behavior of the cycle. So if you put whatever your live-in system is going to be, 
say like whether it's an alu cab or it's a rooftop tent or it's four wheel camp or whatever, you have your stock vehicle, you put it in there and you notice that the vehicle is squatting Yeah. to start with. The shocks may not be the problem there at all. It's the, the springs are not rated to maintain that weight, to hold that weight. Yes. And we like to say, I think you coined this, but in the beginning, think of what may be the end in your vehicle build, you know? So in the beginning, I think it's really helpful to kind of map out, okay, I want a rooftop tent or live-in system. Those are different weights. I want a rear bumper and a front bumper or whatever that looks like. Start adding up how much all that weighs and then figure out what weight you need in your suspension components to handle that. What's, so you're not, yeah, what spring rate? because those are the mistakes we made throughout the years is you put all that on it and you're like, Oh man, you I go gotta, back in there and have to redo it. You got to go back and redo it. And so Which that just saved you a lot of time. And, yeah. And that money that you just went in to redo that could have been, could have gone towards your front bumper or yeah. gone towards the winch <laughs> oh, or gone towards man. the trip that you've been trying to save up and go do, you know? Yeah. So the cold, hard voice of reason right there. Yeah, that's yeah. so true though. Speaking from experience. <laughs> through it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there are several coil options out there. There's, there's their stock coils, which come built tuned for the stock weight of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And then they, you have progressive coils that as more weight gets on it, the spring as it compresses actually gets stiffer and stiffer and can hold more weight as it compresses. Or there are fixed rate springs um, and coils that like we just set put a set of fixed rate Oman emu coils on the Tundra plus 800 pounds. It's built for constant 800 plus pounds on the back of that truck all the time. It's not progressive. It's just fixed at that. Right. Because that's more of a dedicated build. It's a dedicated build. Yeah, We're not taking that topper on and off or that alloy cap mm-hmm. on and off. It's like, this is, this is what it is. Right. So we're exactly. going to match the spring rating to that weight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. What else? Oh, and we'll definitely have a, probably another episode. On yeah. Just, I, I, suspension. just yeah, suspension yeah. is a big yeah. tech series. Okay. But get the suspension, right? Know your, know your weights. Yep. Match yep. that up by the best you can to a certain threshold. You don't have to go crazy unless you know the end product, unless that's what you want. It's your money. But you know, there is a point where you're like, you can get what you need and then you can start applying your money towards other things. And so. real quick to just help people, a few brands, People are like, he's talking about buying a great yeah. suspension mm-hmm. system. Where I go, we've, what are some brands? We've been with Icon for years. Great shock, high-performance shock. Old Man Emu is the next. Uh, that's an Australian division of ARB. Uh, Fox, really good. Bilstein's good. Um, yeah, I mean, those okay. are like probably. Okay. Oh, and then if you're running in Jeeps and Rams, AEV stuff is, which they worked directly with Bill Steen. That's AEV, American Expeditionary Vehicles. Expedition Vehicles, We'll put all this in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Okay, Rochelle, I'm going to, I mean, I know Clay's got his list. I do. He does, (laughs) but I, I feel like, you should you should be the first one to talk. Whatever is on this list, that's uh-huh. the third thing. I think you should be the first one to talk about that. Take a stab. What, what yeah. do you got for number three, Shell? Oh man, I've asked this question because my Land Cruiser we did tires, suspension, and then we always tint the windows. For us as a daily driver, that's just an easy thing we do. We like the looks. It keeps the car cooler. It's yeah. very simple yeah, mod. Um, uh, roof rack would be my Mm. I'm between roof rack and bumper for number three, honestly, depending on what you're wanting that vehicle to do. 
if I knew I wanted to add on a winch <laughs> and extra weight, I would put in a new bumper. Uh, we also deal a lot with deer strikes and animal strikes in Montana. So that to me is a safety thing. I'm, I'm primarily hauling the kids around town mm-hmm. and yeah. you can't really put a price <laughs> on safety in my mind. That's why I don't like, I don't mind paying extra gas money because I know at the end of the day, I'm driving around in a tank that's going to protect our family. And that's worth the price to me. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, what you mentioned about deer strikes, um, animal strikes, deer in particular, yep. are, are an issue around here. But in Montana, you may even hit an elk on yeah. occasion. Like <laughs> it, it, it can happen. Had a buddy hit a cow. I did too. Yeah. I just flat hit a cow, came over a roller at like midnight and, and there was a cow just in the middle of the highway. Like oh there was God. no yeah. chance at avoiding it. Bam. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a thing. It's definitely so something we think about. I think yeah. I would also, so I have a different answer. Yeah. I have an air compressor is number three. I like this. See, I like this like debate. These, the, these uh-huh. differences. This is what I was hoping for. And a little I spice. Didn't, I didn't put a front bumper till my number five, but I could be convinced to put that as a number three because mm-hmm. I also, with that consideration, um, that you kind of, in, in many ways, you are also using that bumper every mile of the, yeah. of, of its, of its life because it's always there ready to protect you more. Yeah. I might, I might argue that as well in that def- deflating your tires and managing air pressure. It, I, and I'm not going to say it's a, an advanced technique, but that for a lot of people is a little farther down the path, like mm-hmm. figuring out how to do that, getting the end deflate, I'm going through that process. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm heading out for the weekend to a place far away. They're going to be deer all over on Friday night as we're trying to get to camp. What's yep. the greater risk? Yeah. yeah. You hit a deer and you have no front end protection. Your trip's over. It's yeah. going through the radiator. You're going to have thirty-five to $4,000 of damage. And you're sitting there on the side of the road in the yeah. middle of nowhere with your family. Yep. Oh, I'll, we'll talk about front bumpers for a second. So there, there are... There are three, let's just call it three types. They're your your, your coverts. Um, Coverts, there we go. (laughs) Culverts. Not culverts. Not culverts. Covert. Covert. Like CBI has a covert. (laughs) And it is in the front, and it just protects the grill. And then you can get a grill protection. It allows you to mount a winch. Um, There are, so let's just, the categories are bumpers that allow you to mount accessories. Like light bars, winches, yeah, uh, tow hooks, yeah, Ex- yeah, recovery exactly. hooks, yeah. That's another good point. Most recovery vehicles don't points. have those proper yeah. proper vehicle GVW rated recovery recovery points. Um, and then there, then you have your hybrids, which are kind of they're not really built for animal strikes. They're more built for uh, high clearance like trails and stuff mm. like, so you can get up rocks and, and get over things better and okay. then still mount a light and, and a bumper or, or a winch in the bumper. And then there's a, a like a full on animal strike protection. ARB prides itself on a, animal strike protection. Right, Cause they have all those kangaroos in Australia. Yep. And I didn't realize how big of a deal that was until I went to Australia and we hit two kangaroos in 10 days. And I was like, Oh, oh yeah, this is this a, is a thing. this, this is, is a thing. I see all what the time. Saying. Oh, and you would, you know, for every, you know, here in Montana, you'd go drive the highways or something. You might see a dead deer every maybe 10 miles. You would see 10 kangaroos dead for that, in that same 
space. So the so rhubarb is a thing. It's a thing. It's a true thing. So there, in my mind, on our personal vehicles, where I am really thinking towards animal strike. Mm-hmm. Someone else's use case might be like, no, I just want to mount a bumper or, or a winch into my bumper and some lights and maybe get like something over the top that will protect, protect the radiator uh, a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. CBI has got some great options for that. But I'm basically going off-roading. I'm not traveling at night We're with whitetail everywhere. Yeah. 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 So, again, needs, preferences there. Mm-hmm. Use case. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So, yeah, I had th- th- air compressor just because back to the number one failure is typically tires. Mm-hmm. Tires also need management if you are going to be running them, airing them down, airing them back up. And if you want to prolong the, the life of them, if you want to get out and not have to swap a tire, maybe you can plug it and air it up. But I could be convinced to move that air compressor off the top 10 mods and put it in uh, top 10 accessories, like mm. something that you could just mm. pack around. Like mm-hmm. ARB and Vire have like the briefcase ones where you just put them in the back and if you needed it. Or you get a power tank with a bunch of compressed air and you have it with you. It doesn't actually have to be bolted to the vehicle. Speaking of compressors, just mm-hmm. this past week, I discovered something that has intrigued me. Bought one. We'll see how it's going to go. But with with the evolution of powerful batteries and electronics, so like mm-hmm. so for example, like for weed trimmers now, now you can put in a battery pack and go. Chainsaw is the same. Yep. DeWalt has a air compressor that runs off one of those super powerful batteries. Oh. Yeah, we should run that thing. We should give it a go. We should yeah. we should put it through the test. We should you can get down. a 12 amp hour battery in there and See, go. It, yeah, air down the RAM that has 37 X3s on it. Air it down to like 20 pounds. See what happens. And see if we can air them all up and how many tires it would go. Well, mm-hmm. I'll double check the warranty. <laughs> since DeWalt i just bought it let's yeah. DeWalt is good right? yeah, it's good <laughs> i like it so awesome all right yeah and i'm just, quick note for me on the air compressor side is i i probably need to do a better job at airing my tires up and down when i'm on trails because just coming from the long distance rally that takes a lot of time and so i just got used to setting my tires at like 23 pounds and running the as many days as I could on that tire pressure and learning how to drive th- because we were covering so much different terrain. That's a very special use case. I guess so. I would agree. That is with always your, my default. I would but. agree with your <laughs> positioning. Like, yeah, just set it to the, the, the best neutral place that serves both worlds and run. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right. That's just where I come from. So that's why I don't think about air compressors because I'm like, well, I barely use one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because you're I in a, when I have to. more of a fixed type of terrain, even yeah. though it varies. It's, you know, for yep. the, the, the event of rallying, whereas like you're not gro- getting groceries on pavement one day yeah. and then crawling over rocks the next, which is when you might want to, even Definitely. for the, the comfort of your family, air down the yep. rig as you drive five 50 miles in on yeah. a rocky road, yeah. right? And when I do, I can grab, I'll grab the briefcase and grab the air compressor. But at, at this point, it's like, I don't. It's not an essential mod yeah. in your mind. It's right. nice to have. What else do we have on this list to debate? <laughs> Are we in four? So I'm on number four. <laughs> oh man, we gotta hurry. I would have refrigerator. Oh yeah. I could Definitely. be, depending on use case, maybe roof rack would go there. You know, but I have refrigerator. That's one of the things that, as we have traveled, we're like, man, once we've got refrigerators, oh. it like just changed the game. It's game so changer. Nice. And even as a daily driver, this is a great argument. Yeah, I, know, I think I if know you're, where you're trying going. to convince your spouse to get a fridge, honey, it keeps those groceries cold. Absolutely. Forever. 
<laughs> my search yeah. and rescue truck, which is Raven right now. I have the fridge running right now. All yep. there's cokes and drinks and whatever you want in there in case we get on a call and it's already ready to go. Yep. The third gen forerunner that's sitting just out here on the bay, its fridge is running. It's, yeah. got, it's solar powered, you know, the solar on the roof and everything. It runs and the fridge is always ready to go. There's mm-hmm. always drinks in that too. <laughs> it's just something you use it a lot. You, you do. And it, we're bringing up something here that I think is worth noting, which is when you build out an overlanding vehicle, um, they're so useful for so many different things that yeah. you might do, right? Let's say like with this rig we're discussing, you take this rig to the soccer game. Mm-hmm. And now you're tailgating, right? You've got and your juice boxes ready to go. Yeah, Junior the comes off the field. The soccer field. Yeah, absolutely. You are the coolest mom. You're the one who always has the cold drinks. Or the popsicles. And yeah. <laughs> Other moms <laughs> are wondering how it. you do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's my overlanding vehicle. <laughs> I I think with that list, I would I would still do roof rack and then a fridge. Okay. Because also for me, the daily, just being able to use the roof rack for anything we use it for, especially in the summer with activities, you know, it's paddle boards or extra suitcases or bags up on bags top up on top make and more room in the car. You know. Fly rod racks. You can fly rod racks. Ski racks. Yeah. Mount the awning to it. Oh yeah. yeah. So you're even cooler at that soccer game. Totally man. <laughs> like the, u- the ultimate <laughs> soccer, you know, soccer machine. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I, I have roof rack is my number six. Uh, so it's, it's up there, um, because of the daily use case mm-hmm. for that. And then as I go to number seven, winch. Mm. Whoa. I Michelle's like, not in the million she's like, years no. for me. <laughs> Too heavy. I'm, I'm thinking, Never use it. <laughs> so I'm not thinking of daily driver here. I'm thinking of overland application, which is what this whole podcast is about. Right. Overland application for top 10 modifications, not daily driver. Mm -hmm. You don't need a winch driving around town. Yeah. You need a winch when you really need a winch out in the backcountry when you're stuck. Yes. And you you need to move a heavy vehicle in a systematic way out of a bad spot. You need a winch. I... The next would be like top 10 accessories we would... I would consider a max track. Max tracks as accessories because... They're not bolted to the vehicle. It's not necessarily a truck mod. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we were talking having that conversation, I'd say there's already a set of max tracks in your car. Yeah. And that's where, like, I think of Rochelle's roof rack, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if, and I picked up, you probably wouldn't be going for the winch for your next item, but nope. the roof rack allows you to throw some max tracks on there if you need a quick recovery. Yes. But if you're going to get out and do things that are in more extreme places, you're probably going to want that winch. It, Yes. Right. So again, it, it has uh, somewhat. Uh, some people may not even be comfortable, like so, which might scare them. Like, I yeah, need they to learn take how some practice this. and training, and I'm I'm guilty of that. And even in the winter, so I kind of have a winter car kit that Clay and I will put together. And Max tracks are just always in my car for the longevity of the winter, um, mostly to help other people out if I see them, or just you know the. Usually, it's a quick slide off the road. You can throw Max tracks down and get out mm-hmm. without needing to be pulled out. Yeah, you're at a trailhead or something like that, and the snow gets a little deep. It's like, boom, yeah. you're out of there. Yep. Um, and I think, too, like, you know, to the point of, of so, there's a lot of subjectivity in some of these accessories, mm-hmm. other than, like, absolute overlanding per se, right? But, like, for, like, the daily driver, 
experience and someone who may not be doing any major trips, but still wants to build out their vehicle some, mm-hmm. um, there is some preference. Cause like I have a winch on my Ram. I've yet to use it to pull out my truck, but I use it all the time in remote put-ins with my raft as a fly mm. fisherman. Ah. So I'll yeah. have to, you know, drag my raft over a cliff basically, and I've got it all harnessed up in 10,000 pound winch or 12 or whatever it is on that Bring ram. It right and out it comes. Yep. Uh, so it's like another one of those overland vehicles do so many things. Yes. It's really fun. And I would say too, like, Going by myself in an overland setting, I would have a winch on my vehicle because that's part of me knowing I am Mm self-sustained and can take care of myself to get myself out. I think that's probably why it's on the list at number seven for me is because I've been so stuck so many Mm -hmm. times that like not having this is, in my opinion, negligent. Yeah, I would agree. Because when you need a winch, I'm telling you, you need a winch. If you don't have a winch, you go find somebody that has one and come back to recover it. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality. <laughs> There's only, you can't stick enough sticks in there. Your come along might help you. I, I, I had one mild stuck that would be a mild uh, you know, situation with a winch that we had come alongs and everything. And it took us two and a half hours to execute the recovery. With a winch, it would have been 20 minutes we were gone. That's mm-hmm. such a good point. Yeah. I was yeah. watching a YouTube video with some overlanders this past week, and they were stuck trying to max tracks their way out of some mud. And it was just basically some slippery mud. They weren't just buried. But mm-hmm. the hours and hours of trying to get those max tracks to work in those conditions, when if they had deployed a winch, I mean, Done. they would have just, them, boom, pulled them, through. pulled them right yep. out. Yep. And it wasn't even a big pull, you know, yep. but... And then when it's really bad, you use both. Yeah. <laughs> More than likely, even when it's not really bad, we're using both That's all true. the time. Th- those two tools work together so well. Okay. So, all right. Well, moving on. Number eight, I have organization system. Like a goose mm-hmm. gear drawer system or... Outback Solutions, something or other, AT Overland builds drawers in the back, something like that. Do I sense organize. you two might agree on this this one? Ooh, do we we, are I, we going to have agreement here? I, <laughs> I was just asking myself if I would do that or, believe it or not, a radio before that. Like a calm radio. Like yeah. Comms. Okay. Wow, that is I know. shocking. That's shocking know. to me right now, too. I would have thought, Clay, all about the calm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's right. no, that's a good point. It, I think it depends. It's definitely if you really know what you're doing. But see, I to finish that thought. If you really know what you're doing, it could be a safety thing. Yeah, like you can. For me, it's if a you're safety traveling thing. Traveling with other people, if you know how to use repeaters and stuff, which you do, and I do. Uh, yeah, there's there's some, but on a daily basis, mm-hmm. an organization. system like camp life. I use this every night, every morning, every afternoon when I'm getting in and out of things and I'm Mm -hmm. having, I'm living out of this vehicle. I think I would prioritize an organization system, make my life better Yeah, over radio. Mm -hmm. You could, you could argue too that, you know, there are a lot of devices, satellite communication devices Mm -hmm. for people, especially who are just getting into this, who they could bring that along for a hundred bucks and a right. Yeah. And so, and not have to learn all the sophisticated measures and skills of operating ham radios or what, right? Having licensing. Um, But they're all going to need that organizational 
aspect. Yes. So I think here I, I might I might, I might be weighing in on Clay's side on this <laughs> on this one. <laughs> I I could be easily convinced because I'm kind of like I don't know I could go either way, but it's true. You you're using that organization on a daily basis. It makes the experience way better because you're not fighting your stuff or moving things to get to things. It's you've got a system that is working for you, not against you. Yeah. Even like the end of the trip, it's easier to reset for next weekend. Yes. When you know where everything goes and. Yep. So yeah. what does that look like though? Like when you say organization system, goose gear for well, people who are going to be like, what is that? Sure. Mm-hmm. So right now, more than likely your stock vehicle, your, either your stock SUV or your stock pickup truck has nothing in the bed or in the far back. So you are using totes, portable organization, stuff you bought at Walmart or whatever Mm -hmm. to um, uh, organize your stuff. There comes a point when having fixed organizational systems really starts to benefit you. You compromise on the weight. You're adding weight to the vehicle permanently. But the way that you can utilize the drawers increases your efficiency and everything so much that it's... Mm-hmm. Very worth the effort and the cost to get these in there. Um, and it, you can have two drawers. You can have one big drawer, like truck vault. I think you can get one massive in the back of an SUV, one massive drawer that comes out. Uh, you can get this, the tops of them to slide back and forth. You can get all kinds of stuff that... Uh, um, what? <laughs> I don't know if you noticed our uh, our our CFO if I just uh, oh, walked no. by. Hey, Brett's here. <laughs> Brett's here. That was Brett, by the yeah, way. Yeah, like, uh, that was Brett, everybody. So on my number 10, I actually have, is my 10th one, a fridge stove slide system. Mm. I love these so much. Like we're getting more into like a dedicated overland build at this point when you would put a dedicated fridge slide in there. Yeah. But it's, in that organizational, the things I love the most and that I can't wait to put in a vehicle is one of these. Yeah. And like, and here's where you might want like a decked system for just mm. tools, mm-hmm. but then you still have room on top of that to, to access. throw more bags. And yeah. Tie like if you, down. Yeah, yeah, if you had to go fast or something, you know, that, that works really well there. Well, so there's is- a lot of different ways to go about it. Yeah. And this is where too, like for someone who can't have two separate vehicles, uh, so that they're, even if it's more of a dedicated build type of approach to their overland vehicle, it's still going to be their daily driver because it has Mm -hmm. to be, uh, it's worth noting that some of these systems can be utilized for other purposes. So if you're a contractor and you need a place to keep your tools, some of these drawer systems are great for that. Mm -hmm. If you also like to go hunting or something like that, you can, you can use these drawers for gear storage or guns. Um, there are just lots of other uses for a system like this. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. When you go over landing, there it is. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you have for number nine? I actually put a bumper mounted light Oh yeah. So like I I actually am really enjoying having this here because I'm thinking yeah. we have a little model of yeah. Raven. So yeah. bumper mounted light would be like in the actual bumper. Yeah, like, L- like a low a, mounted below eye line is actually as low or or in line with your headlights as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the roof rack light bar, even though a lot of people were like, "Well, oh, it's so cool." It's kind of cool. 
it has it has a much narrower use case a roof a rooftop bar okay. a bumper lit a bumper bar light bar or, or or round lights or whatever you you get has far more use case it's much better in bad weather much better in dust uh it, because you don't get all the reflections back off of like the snow and this stuff mm-hmm. you can get kind of this like if you've never driven but in a vehicle that has a rooftop light bar lit up in a really dusty condition it just kicks a whole bunch of light back into your face mm-hmm. oftentimes unless it's a unless you're the lead vehicle yep and there's and weather is good can actually work against it you. works against you 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 end up turning them off and turning your low lights on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so buy that one first and down the road your modification mm-hmm. list or whatever, put that top roof light bar on. They do have their use case. We, we put them on ours. Yeah. But it's it's yeah. down the line. Mm-hmm. Well, this might be a place where all three of us agree on the mod. Um, I I've definitely uh, am a huge fan of lighting. That made my top 10, um, especially after I got past the age of 45. Um, the nights are a lot darker than they used to be. And we live in Montana and we, you know, we get out and it's, it is just pitch. Yeah. yeah. And since I put those accessory lights on my front bumper, I it just light up the night and I can see again. And I think, why didn't I do this when I was 25? Yes. Definitely increases the safety margin. And mm-hmm. you know what? A new thing to me that I haven't really put a whole lot of thought towards the top 10 is actually aftermarket fog lamps. Yeah. So they ah. still meet. So we've, we've started to put the rigid aftermarket SAE certified. F- so they're street legal. Oh, is that what SAE yeah. stands it's for? It's a certification. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, they are far better than any factory uh, uh, fog lamp. Mm-hmm. Even the new trucks. I, I would say that the, uh, what truck do we, the, the Land Cruiser 200 series, the 2016, had really good fog lamps. But these, like the ridges that we're putting on, on the trucks now, are they're better. They're just better. They mm-hmm. kick out way further. And I'm actually running those more than I'm running a, a bar. Is that because since they're street legal, you can run them even while you're driving in most cases and and they're low enough, they're not in people's eyes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They have, they have a cutoff. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if, if you've ever looked at headlights and you just start to crouch and then all of a sudden it gets tremendously brighter or like you walk up, roll up to the, the, the garage door and you can almost see like a flat line of light. There's still some spill, but there's, there's an obvious light cutoff. That mm-hmm. cutoff is part of the certification, mm. so it doesn't kick a lot of light up into the uh, oncoming driver's eyes. It keeps all of that intensity low, which benefits you, but doesn't hurt oncoming drivers. And and speaking of oncoming drivers, I'm thinking of another use case for for these lights. These powerful fog lights. And that is during daylight driving mm-hmm. when you're on two lane roads and you, it's mandatory in some states to have your headlights on for yeah. good reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and now with those on, people, even better chance of people seeing you, a lot more visibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would take the lights one more step too because we've started doing the scene lights or the rock lights around our vehicle for mm-hmm. when you're in camp at night. Mm-hmm. And you actually, we do that a lot for safety as we're walking around camp because at night you trip over things or, yeah. you know, the rock or whatever it is or looking out for critters. Mm-hmm. So you can pop those on and it's really easy and nice to work around camp at night. 
With rock um, lights. With rock lights, without having to wear a headlamp and blind everybody in the face. Yeah, as you're right. We use them more around. as a that camp a light we do. than a rock light. You know, originally it was, I remember when they came out, rock lights, you're like, this is the one you're rock cl- crawling in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, some people do that, and uh-huh. it's cool, yeah. and those lights yeah. do help. But I have, I can probably count on one hand the amount of instances over the last 15 years where I've needed mm-hmm. rock lights to do that. But I can, I couldn't tell you how many nights we've used them in camp Constantly. just living because it's a nice light. It's and really nice. Would they nice. be helpful if you were changing a, uh, a, a flat and, yes. in the dark sure. or airing up or airing down yeah. or something like that, getting yes. it stuck? Especially on the side of a road. We strategically placed a lot of our rock lights in areas so that it made it putting on tire chains a lot easier. Oh, uh, yeah. Like there you just go. put a work light right where you needed it when you put a chains on. And the, you're like, man, that's kind of extreme. Well, in the winter in Montana, it's dark at four. Yep. So yeah. if you're doing anything <laughs> beyond four o'clock, you're in the dark. You're always doing stuff in the dark. Yeah. yeah. So that's... Lighting is good. And I'm yep. just thinking about how like holistically on the top 10 list, mm-hmm. lighting. Yeah. You know, see what that looks like to you. Um, you know, the bumper light, the fogs, camp lights, but just giving lighting serious thought and trying to upgrade that area of your vehicle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would spend the money first on safety areas, mm-hmm. things that turn on and off easily, func- function easily with like your normal lights. Like all of our light bars and our fog lamps are tied into factory systems. Do that. And then, then, then focus on livability. Mm-hmm. From there, I just looked at the hourglass. I was like, "Whoa, it's gone!" Is wow. she gone? She gone. There was there was one thing we didn't talk about that I yeah. want to ask where would where it would be on the list, and that's water and fuel. Because if you're going into the backcountry, okay, are you taking jerry cans and just strapping those down? Is that at what point do you see that threshold of sure? So I w- we, a modification. We had it was when we were discussing how we would do this podcast, we had. It kind of fell into a different category. So yeah. we have ten t- top 10 truck mods, stuff that you would bolt to the vehicle. Got it. And then we also said, well, there's probably top 10 camp items that you've got mm. to have. Yeah. And I would say water would be in there, like yeah. a jerry can or or some sort of water tank system. However you want, decide to carry your water is going to be in the top 10 of those camp items. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have accessories. Like that's where the Max Tracks came in, maybe seat covers. Mm-hmm. A really in, solid in recovery strap. Recovery straps. It's stuff that like goes in the vehicle mm-hmm. that isn't bolted to it, but you need it to do what we yeah, do. Yeah, just fundamentals. Right? Yeah. Good shovel, just a couple of those things that are going to ensure you have a better trip. You're going to get out most of the time. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Med kit. Med, <laughs> med kit. Yeah. Top 10 accessories. Med kit. has got to be in there. So it sounds like we need to do another podcast on the top 10 accessories I, to I, dive into. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that. Like yeah. that's. Let's that's, combine them if we can, like camp items and accessories because they kind of all yeah. mesh together and it would be part of the same discussion. I think we could do that. I yeah. think we could do that. I yeah. think we need to do that. Okay. Agreed. Sweet. All right. Well, shall we wrap this one up? We should. It looks like that's it, folks. And hope you've enjoyed joining us for this discussion on modifying out an overlanding vehicle. Top 10 ideas from Clay and Rochelle. It's been interesting. There's been a little (laughs) bit of debate. And that's been, I think, healthy for our audience in our podcast. So I think so, too. Thank you guys for getting into that today. Yeah. And uh, as always, thank you, Onyx, for being our 
sponsor of this podcast and making this whole thing work. By the way, I would say that would be on my top 10 list as far as accessories is an awesome ability, some kind of navigation ability to find your way around, share campsites, find the trails. So Onyx is the best that I've used of of that world. Mm -hmm. So I would highly recommend. Um, Yeah, agreed. And uh, we'll get together some more podcasts around those other items and we'll get back to you. All right, let's do it. (laughs) Thanks again. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps. We appreciate your support. And until next time, stay adventurous. Stay adventurous.